moment and um, I decided after that that I was truly going to surrender my life to Him and began experiencing Him moving in my life. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. Jesus is my Lord and my Savior of my life. Amen. Hey, welcome to uh, 1122. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. If you need a Bible, just grab one right there in front of you, or if you'd like to raise your hand, we'd be happy to hand you a Bible. You can go either way there. Acts chapter 4. If you don't um, own a Bible outright, or you own one in a translation that you have a difficult time understanding, um, if this is our gift to you. Feel free to take this one home. Uh, one announcement before we dig into the Bible is um, in an effort to get the church launched, we haven't talked about missions very much. And if you're a regular 1122, then you know that you've got three years to go on a mission trip to experience a, a short-term mission experience with us. And so the time has come for missions to get cranked up. We don't leave on the trips until next year. But all the informational meetings are starting right now. On the back of your notes, there's the information. Uh, one of the trips that's open to be signed up right now is the Jamaica A&B. Um, we have uh, Pastor Ryan's leading one of those trips, and I'm leading one of those trips. Especially for you, like first timers, you, you're a little nervous about going. That those will be great trips for you. There's also the New Gen Kids local trip. Uh, there's the New Gen uh, Students domestic trip. We have the Panama family trip. All those information meetings are coming up, and you get all of that information in the Connect Center at the end of any service, every service. So please do that. We need to take hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people on short-term mission experiences. So. Uh, I think that's it, so uh, go to Jamaica with me and sign up for that. You don't even have to pray about it, just pray about where, uh, which one you go to. Also, I'd like to say what's up to our students. How are you guys doing? That's fun. Um, <clears throat> for those of you that are sitting behind the students, uh, I just hope and pray that you are thankful to God that we've got a generation that stands on their chairs to worship and not that you couldn't see, all right? Amen? Amen. All right. Uh, if they do it every week, we'll adjust the student section you know, accordingly to the back, but... Uh, I know that it's quite an honor to lead a church where um, kids don't get in trouble for standing on stuff, right? But we say, way to go. So we are glad that you are here with us this morning. Students, sit up straight. I know you, you got like six hours of sleep cumulative over the whole weekend, uh, but we're not done. All right, I think we should, we should be there by now. Acts chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 18. Uh, thanks for letting me be away. Last weekend I was here, but I was uh, not preaching. Pastor Ryan did an awesome job preaching last weekend, and it was because the week before that, I was with Compassion International uh, in South Dakota. Typically, when I'm with Compassion International, we are rescuing children from poverty in Jesus' name. Um, last week, we were shooting deer and pheasant in Jesus' name, and so I really appreciate that. And I know some of you are like, oh, but I love animals, and I do too. I really do. Mostly grilled, uh, and so if that offends you, you're not going to like it here. So... Uh, but it was awesome. It was a great time away, but I am so excited to be back and to pick up on our very last week of this series uh, called Bold. This is our very last week, so gentlemen, uh, you can shave off the mustaches after today, and all the wives said amen, all right? They have not been as excited about this as we have been. Um, Gretchen, not in love with this part, right? In fact, I, maybe I'll encourage you this. You single guys that may be struggling with purity, uh, grow one of these. It could help you more than you know, all right? 
We'll cover more of that in a different sermon. All right, here we go. Last week of bold, we're going to talk about bold prayers. We're going to pick it up in verse 18, even though Pastor Ryan covered this, just to, just to get us going again. Um, if you'll remember the very first week of bold, the thing that kicked off all of the events of chapters uh, 3, 4, and 5 are this healing of a man that was born lame. He couldn't walk for 40 years. He's, he's begging for money. Peter and John say, we don't have any money, but what we have we give to you in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. And so he gets up and he walks. And then um, Peter preaches this sermon. 3,000 people get saved. Uh, uh, and then he gets arrested. And so where we pick it up here is they, they are, they've just been arrested um, and, and they've kind of had their little court hearing. Verse 18. Then they, the they is a group of people called the Sanhedrin, like the judges. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. To you skeptics in the room, this should be good news to you. That Peter and John are saying, we're not talking about what we just believe in. Because people believe in all kind of stuff. We're not just talking about what we have faith in. People put their faith in all kind of weird stuff. We are talking about what we have seen and heard. That this whole Christianity thing is not just based on a belief system, but an actual event, one historic event. That this, this guy named Jesus, claimed to be the Son of God, died on a cross in your presence. He was buried and dead. And yet three days later, in the town that he was killed in, he was resurrected from the grave, and he appeared to over 500 people for 40 days. A lot of us have seen and heard that, and we can't stop talking about it. And then what Pastor Ryan pointed out um, last week is not only did they see and hear the events, but they personally experienced Jesus, and they could not help talking about the things that they had seen and heard. Verse 21, and after further threats, they let him go. And they couldn't decide how to punish him because all the people were praising God for what had happened. Verse 22, for the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Verse 23, and on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. So they get out of jail and where do they go? They go to their own people. Let me just encourage you here. You need some people. You need some of your own people people, especially when times get tough, you need some of your own people. One of the reasons you need to be in a disciple group come January is because you need some of your own people. Students, you need some of your own people. And the Bible says, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. Some of the reasons that your life is jacked up is because you've given your heart to Jesus, but your own people are still whacked. That's why your life is still whacked. You need to start surrounding yourself with the people that you would like to become like. He who walks with the wise grows wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. So Peter and John get out of prison and they go back to their own people. Let me just say this too. If you're new to church and you've never fit in at church before, the church of 1122 are probably your people, okay? Um, if, if, you, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you're just not self-righteous about it, the Church of 1122 are your people. If you're young people, old people, we got all kind of people. But the people here are the people that know the God of the second and the third and the fourth chance. That we know that it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. That God is not in love with some future version of you, but you right now. And to your left and to your right and in front of you, behind you, you are surrounded right now by people that are not perfect, but are forgiven, not because of what they have done, but by what Christ has done for them. And so these guys had some people. 
So on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, one other thing about when you, when you read the Bible, um, you get to verses like this, and you can just cruise right by it, okay? But you've got to understand, this, this actually happened. So Peter and John got arrested, put in prison, and then, and then let out. They didn't come with a report, like on day one, we healed a guy, and on day two, we got sent to prison, and then I said, and then he said, and now here we are. No, no, no. This was like a, an actual event. I mean, you've got to understand, Peter and John were young guys, too. So they, they probably showed up, and, and the other apostles and disciples like, what are y'all doing here? We thought you were in jail. We, we were about to come help. Yeah, right. And Peter and John are like, get everybody in the room. We, we're going to report to you all that was said and done. And everybody would gather up, and Peter would probably go first because he's always talking in the Bible. And Peter would go, man, y'all are going to believe what happened. Remember the other day when, I was, when we healed that guy and then I preached to all those people and then they arrested us? Yeah, we remember. Well, they put us in front of the Sanhedrin, all these judges, 71 judges all the way around us, and they were hurling questions at us like, by what name did this man get healed? And I stood up and I said, by the name of Jesus Christ, I said, arise and walk. And then they said, you better quit talking about Jesus. And Peter said, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to do. I'm going to talk about what I have seen and heard. And then they said, stop and then I said and then the, the guys would be like did it really go that way and John would be like just like that like this was an actual event it would be like if Ben and I got arrested over the weekend for preaching the gospel and we got out and, and we were here this morning you know what we would do we'd get everybody together and be like y'all ain't gonna believe what happened Ben and I we were up on the north side preaching the gospel I mean, I was laying it down, and, and, and lame people were walking, and crackheads were being set free, and it was crazy. It was awesome. And then, and then the police came, and they arrested me and Ben, and they put us in jail, and they put us before the judge, and the judge said, you better stop. And I told him, well, you do whatever you want to do. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach in the name of Jesus. And then men played a song, and then boom, we got out of jail. <laughs> Y'all believe that? So you gotta, you got to know that's the kind of environment that's going on right here. Upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them, verse 24. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Somebody in the group, after hearing all that had happened, said, we got to pray. We've got to pray. I don't know if that's your first instinct. It's not often my first instinct. I'm not, and I know some of you think I'm not a good pastor for this, and I don't blame you. I'm, I'm not the first one to sign up for prayer group, okay? Partly, it's kind of the way we pray. You know, I'm not a big fan of hold hands in circles. I don't like that, especially with other men. And, and let me just tell you this, because we've got so many of you new to church. When you pray in a prayer circle, all right, we don't go interlocked ever, men, okay? God does not hear the prayers of fingers interlocked amongst fellas, all right? So we're going cupped. That's how we're going. And if you're praying next to me, um, uh, the intensity of your prayer does not need to be matched by the squeezing of your hand, okay? Now, don't give me dead fish. You've got to give me a little something to hold on here. But as you get going, you don't have to break my hand off, you understand? And don't move your thumb. You can't move your thumb. All the students know, anybody that grows up in church know, that's how you get a church camp girlfriend, all right? What you do... You position yourself right during the prayer time to be next to the honey. And then as you're praying, if you move your thumb, if she moves it back, you got a girlfriend. That's how that works. So if you move your thumb on me, I can't pray anymore. It's over. Okay? So I don't know if that's probably 
That's why I went to seminary to learn these kind of things about first century prayer group. Now, if I'm honest, and I know this is church, it's not a place for honesty, but if I'm honest, in, in this, in, if this is happening to me, I'm probably not thinking prayer, I'm thinking plan. If Peter and John come in and say, this has happened, somebody's going, let's pray, I'm thinking, no, 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 we need a plan, we need a security plan. First of all, Peter and John, you can't travel together anymore. Okay, because this is like the president and CEO of Jesus International, and that's too much in, in one group here. You guys have to be divided out, all right? You go one way and you go the other. We need a security team to follow these guys around. We're going to need earpieces. You know what we need? We need, um, we need tricked-out Escalades. That's what we need. All the apostles, bulletproof Escalades from now on. I would be going with a plan. What they go with is prayer, and here's how they pray. Sovereign Lord. So, fresh out, they still smell like jail, and they're praying, Sovereign Lord. Sovereign just means that God is in control of all things. Sovereign Lord, and in fact, the phrase Sovereign Lord is a little bit redundant on, perfect, on purpose. Sovereign Lord. Did you realize that the way you pray reveals what you believe about God? Think about the things that you prayed last week. The way you pray reveals what you believe about God. Some of you, if you're honest, would say, Well, I didn't really play it pray last week. Well, uh, then I got bad news for you. Then you don't really believe in God. I, I know you say you do or you wouldn't be here this morning, but, um, but if, you're not, if you're not praying to him often, then he's just not that important in your life. Or if you're pray, praying these little wimpy prayers that are going to happen whether you pray them or not, then, then maybe you believe um, kind of in this distant higher power, but not much higher than you. That God's only like a, a half inch taller than you. Or if you only pray memorized formal prayers, it could believe it could be because you don't believe in a personal heavenly father and a personal relationship with him, but you believe that God is some kind of distant judge. Last week, uh, in here, Maria, as she was setting up one of the worship songs, she said, if you feel like God is distant, it could be because you're following him at a distance. And so if that's what your prayer life is like, I I hate to break it to you, but it reveals what you believe about God. The scariest one is this, and um, this is how most Americans pray. This is how most of us pray. If you're praying a bunch of me-centered prayers, like you're like, oh, I pray all the time, all right? Bless me, protect me, keep me safe, watch over my children, me, 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 then you might actually believe that you don't exist to bring God glory, but he exists to serve you. And that you might think that, that you tell him what to do. And some of you will even, or some of us will even wrap it. Like you'll find a Bible verse as if you can make God do what you want him to do. As if he is, he is the servant and you are the Lord. You see, you see me-centered prayers lead to self-serving people. Which, which leads to a self-serving church. It's not the kind of church I want to be a part of. And I hope you don't either. But the, the, way we, the way we pray reveals what we believe about God. I'll tell you this, though, but you, if you've been praying all week, if you begin to learn what, what the Apostle Paul meant when he said pray without ceasing, that, that it's not just saying your prayers, but you're in constant communication with an almighty God, then you believe, you believe in the omnipresence of God, that he is always with you and always, always listening. Jesus prayed. When we learn all kind of stuff about prayer, Matthew 14, 23, this is how Jesus prayed. And after he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. So sometimes he prayed alone. In Matthew 19, 13, then little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. He prayed for other people. 
uh, Mark 1.35, very early in the morning. Listen to this, college students. Very early in the morning. While it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Did you know there was a, there's a part of the morning that's still dark? I don't know if you're aware of this. Some of you could just stay up two extra hours and just pray then. You'd be in the same time zone. All right, here we go. Luke 5.16. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6.12. One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God, Luke twenty two forty two, And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. See, if you look at the prayer life of Jesus, you find out what he believed about the Father. He believed that, that he had an intimate relationship. He believed that he prayed, that God was there all the time. He prayed at night, prayed in the morning, prayed all night, prayed all day, prayed alone, prayed with people. That your prayer life reveals what you believe about God. So if you've been praying rated R prayers, and I encourage you to pray rated R prayers, then you actually believe there really is a God who is really listening. And it's imp- if it's important to you, it's important to Him, because you are important to Him. And if you're praying intimate, like confessional type prayers to God, it's because you know that God loves you, not some future version of you, and sent His Son to die on a cross for you. And wants to meet you right where you are. And so look how these guys pray, Sovereign Lord. And if you're in praying impossible prayers, I mean impossible prayers, it's because you believe in an almighty, sovereign God. And they pray, Sovereign Lord. Now, now let's just be honest. If we're fresh out of jail, we're probably not praying, Sovereign Lord. We're probably praying, Dear God, help me, curse them, amen. Change the circumstances, To fit what I want, not sovereign Lord. But they pray, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. See how theocentric these prayers are? They're just lifting up the name of God. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, servant, our father David. One of the things they believed is they believed in the... That, that the, the Bible or the scriptures were the very words of God. That David wasn't just a good poet and they liked to read Psalm chapter 2. But <clears throat> that, that these were the very words of God. One of the boldest ways you can pray, especially when you don't know what to pray, is you just pray God's word. You just claim the truth of God's word back to him. And so what they're going to do here next is they're going to pray Psalm chapter 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. In other words, what they're saying is, God, you're not surprised by this. Hundreds of years before this ever happened, you spoke through your servant David to let us know that Jesus was going to be crucified and that we were going to be persecuted. Hey, let me just encourage you, parents. You need to be praying the scriptures over your kids. All right, this is just a freebie. But every, I mean, all the time, I pray the scriptures over my kids. Every night when I lay my three-year-old little girl down in her bed, I pray Psalm 139, 14. Dear God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. Know that full well. Why? Because she's a beautiful little three-year-old. And when she's a beautiful little 13-year-old, the world is going to try to rob her of knowing that. I want to plant that deep into her soul because I want to pray boldly for my kids. For my son, I pray Psalm 1 almost every night of his entire life. Blessed is he who does not walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of the sinner or sit in the seat of the mocker, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and upon his law he meditates day and night. And then I make it personal for him. And JP, may you be planted like a tree by streams of running water. May you bear fruit in season. May your leaves never wither. May everything you do prosper and the Lord will watch over the righteous. Now, I didn't even intend to memorize it, but when you do that every night for seven years, it begins to stick. 
And I hope it begins to stick deep in his soul that we plant the truth of God's word deep in the hearts of our children so when this world tries to rip them apart that they can be anchored with the truth of God's word. That's praying boldly. And so that's what these men do. They pray the words of God back to God. Verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now notice this, folks. Notice this. They are not even praying that their circumstances are changed. They're praying that God would be glorified in their circumstances. Now I know there's some people that are not super stoked about the election last week, all right? But these guys, they're not just upset with people's policies. The people that were in charge of this government were killing Christians. And you know what they pray? God, you are sovereign. That those evil men could not be in power without you allowing it. And so, God, we know that you are still in charge. You know what they don't do? They don't evaluate God's purposes and God's plans based on their current circumstances. But they know, Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, they don't look around and be like, hey, God, I think things are out of control. Did you take a nap? What happened? I mean, you've got to imagine the day that Jesus was sentenced to be crucified, some of the disciples had to think, uh-oh, I don't think the plan's working. God, where are you? What are you doing? And God would respond, I'm redeeming the world. This is what I'm doing. So as you're praying, especially big, bold, audacious kind of prayers, don't let your current circumstances define God, but be defined by him and his love. I want to try to explain it this way. I hope this helps you. Um, about three weeks ago, uh, JP earned a spanking, all right? Now, <clears throat> now, I know some of you are like, we don't spank our kids. We, we, we know, all right? So, uh, <laughs> so we don't, I mean, you know, we do timeout. We do all that kind of stuff, but, but we, we spank because we love. And, um, and look, I wish I would have grown up in this era. I wish I would have gotten. Now, you need to go to your room and think about it. Okay. All right? Whew, that's probably what's, what's wrong with some of you. But anyway. <clears throat> And now, so what we do is uh, I make him go in my room and wait. And the reason is because he can't go into his room because he's got Xbox and all of that. And some of you do that. Go to your room and think about this. And they're playing Xbox. It helps me think. And be like, oh, because you don't want to hurt their precious little face. Bless you. All right. So we, I send him to my room. Gretchen and I talk this over. What's the punishment going to be? And we decide spanking. And so I'm literally standing at the door going, all right. What does gospel-centered spanking look like? How do I um, explain to JP that there is no condemnation, that I'm not just punishing him for something that has been done, but by God's grace, I'm trying to point him in a new God-honoring direction, and he doesn't do good things so that God will love him, but he knows God does love him, therefore he should live a life worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Now, let me just tell you, it is easier to preach to you to, than to explain the gospel to a six-year-old. So I'm in the bedroom, eyeball to eyeball with him. He's standing on the bed, and I'm trying to explain to him that God loved you so much. He's so gracious to you that he would let you grow up in our family, that I would get to be your daddy, and that this isn't just punishment for what you've done, but this is discipline because we love you, and, I, and, and we've had to steer you in a new direction. You're not allowed to lie to your teachers at school, and we're going to point you in a new direction. And so, and then, and then we get to like, you know, get, get to the time. And, and he's crying, and I'm telling you, it hurts my heart, and he's crying. And, and do we have to have a spanking? Yes, we do. And, and I tell him, now when I get done, 
When I get done, you stay in here as long as you need to. You cry in here as long as you need to. But when you're done, you come on out of here and, and, you know, I love you no matter what. You got it? I got it. So he rolls over on the bed and I'm getting ready to go. And I don't use any, like, torture devices like my dad did, right? I just, just be in the hand. And so I'm going and he's trying to get the hand and I'm going, I'll get the hand too, you know? And I almost said it. I, I was this close to saying it. I almost said, son, this hurts me more than it hurts you. I almost did. But by the grace of Jesus, I was not possessed by my dad, Perry Martin, and somehow I kept it all in. And then three smacks, whap, whap, whap. And apparently it was kind of loud. But right after that third one, he popped around and said, I'm good. And I said, you, you stay in here until you're ready to quit crying. And I walk out, and Gretchen says, man, that was loud. Is he okay? And I'm like, baby, he's getting tough. Right? <clears throat> Later that night, I'm in his room, and we're playing. And, uh, and we're just kind of hanging out and playing. And, and I say, hey, hey Buttero, um, let me ask you a question. Earlier when I gave you a spanking, um, did I not spank you hard enough? And he goes, um, well, <clears throat> you see, he had just gotten a spanking for, for, for lying. And now he's thinking, do I lie? What do I do? <laughs> and so he goes, so, Dad, if I tell you no, are you going to do it again? I was like, no, no way, no way. And he goes, Nah, not really. And then right after that, he goes, Dad, I love you. And he stands up and gives me a hug. Now, let me tell you what he was able to do in his little six-year-old mind. He had the ability to do, to not evaluate my love for him based on the circumstances for earlier that day. But somehow, by God's grace, he was able to see the big picture that he has a dad that loves him and wants to, and it loves him enough to discipline him, to point him um, towards maturity and that I love him no matter what and he can't earn it and he also can't mess it up. That's what the apostles are praying here. Not let me evaluate my current circumstances and God, your love for me is based on whether I go to jail again or not, but sovereign Lord, none of this could have happened if you didn't let it happen anyway. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Verse 29, now they get to the part in their prayer that we typically start with. We typically start with, bless us, give us. This is the prayer request part, not them. They start, sovereign Lord, it's theocentric, it's God-honoring. They quote some scripture. They pray, God, don't change the circumstances to match us, but change us to match your will. And now here comes the, the prayer request. Now, Lord, consider their threats. So what they're saying is, hey, Lord, you know that part where if we keep talking about Jesus, they said they're going to kill us? So consider that, and then here's what they pray for. And enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Now, if you're in the prayer circle holding the hands, aren't you going to go, well, okay, time out, prayer warriors. What do you pray for? Boldness. Didn't you just get out of prison for being bold? Didn't you just, um, didn't you just get arrested because you wouldn't quit talking about what you have seen and heard? I think you're all square on the boldness. I don't know that you need any more boldness, but look what they pray for. Not help me, not change me, but they pray that they would be able to speak the word with great boldness. And I imagine there's somebody in the group that wants to give them advice. You don't need boldness, you need wisdom. You need discernment. You need a safe house. You need to lay low for a little while. You need to change your rhetoric. Let's just leave out the Jesus stuff for a while. And then once the, once the crowd has kind of calmed down, we can get back on mission. And, and I even imagine some people would try to be um, kind of spiritual about it and say things like, 
Uh, do, do you think God might be trying to tell you something? You ever have well-intentioned Christians do that for you? You're just trying to be obedient to what the Word of God says, and they let the circumstances dictate what's going on? Well, maybe every time you preach about Jesus, you end him to jail. Maybe God's trying to tell you you shouldn't be preaching about Jesus in Jerusalem. You know what the problem with that is? It's the Bible. Remember Acts 1-8? We kicked off the whole study of Acts on it. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. It's why I tell you lovingly, I don't care about your feelings. I'm not saying that I don't care what you feel or I don't care that you have feelings. I care about that stuff, sort of. But what I'm really saying is I don't want you to be lorded over by what you feel like that day. That either Jesus is Lord or maybe your feelings are Lord, but they both can't be Lord. That, that I want you to be surrendered to him. I want us to follow him and then we'll have all sorts of feelings in that journey. But so what they do is they pray for boldness, and then they continue in verse 30. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They're praying, to which again you go, hey, guys, isn't that what got you in trouble? And you're praying for more of that, that more people would be healed, that more people would be saved. And, and not so you could be famous, but for the name and the renown of Jesus. And they're saying yes and amen. These guys are praying big, audacious prayers because they believe in an almighty God. And then look what happens in verse 31. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. When was the last time after you prayed, the place was shaken? Because most of us just pray casual, weak, wimpy little prayers. I mean, there's a lot of times where I'm just kind of laying in bed at night and I'm just sort of praying, dear God, thanks for this day, because I don't know why we always pray that, and just sort of praying and then go to sleep. Wake up the next morning. Amen. And the only shaking going on is Gretchen going, roll over, you're breathing my air. All right, I'm like, come on, woman, what's wrong with you? Wake me up. But when these guys prayed, when they got finished, when these men and women prayed, the place was shaken. I think the Holy Spirit shook the place and it shook the people. And some of you need to be shaken. I mean, really shaken. Like these men and women were shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God answered their prayers. The reason that we are here today, the reason there are 21st century Christians is because of the boldness of the first century disciples. Because God answered that prayer. God gave them the courage to take the message of Jesus back into the very city that was persecuting them. He gave them courage. Courage isn't a lack of fear. Courage is behaving as if you believe that God is actually in charge. That's what courage is. And so that's what these men and women did. You see, here's the point. That when you believe in a sovereign Lord, you pray big, bold prayers. When you believe in a sovereign Lord, then it's reflected in your prayer life. You begin to pray big, bold, audacious kind of prayers. And if you're honest, most of the time we pray the wimpiest little prayers. And I have to be a little careful when I teach on this because on the one hand, this is very true, all right? You're just talking to your dad. You're just talking to your dad. If it's important to you, it's important to God because you're important to God. And my kids bring me little wimpy things, and I love it because I love them, all right? So I'm not saying necessarily do away with some of these things, but if, if the totality of your prayer life is little wimpy prayers, I'm going to make fun of you, all right? If you pray these out loud in front of me, I might go, during the prayers, because some of the, pray, some of the things we pray are just dumb. 
And I know you don't mean it, or, or maybe you just picked it up, but some of the things we pray is, Dear God, thank you for this day. Okay, if you've been on life support before, that is very, very meaningful to you. But for most of us, you're just, I think God would kind of go, all right, folks, got it. Memo to all the Christians. I get it that you are thankful for the day. And then we go with, um, dear God, would you please just be with me? Well, where are you going to be? Because I'm pretty sure I'll be there too, all right? It's called uh, omnipresence. And not only that, remember Jesus, my son, he promised in Matthew 28, and lo, I will be with you always. Or we love to pray this one, dear God, please watch over us. What? Watch over? No, no, no. I don't want to watch over you. I want to live in you. If you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ, your body is the temple. That doesn't have anything to do with what you look like in a bathing suit, praise God. That means that the Holy Spirit lives in you. You are not your own. You're bought at a price. The Spirit lives in you. So if you would rather me leave you and hover over your minivan on the way to Disney, we can do it that way. Or I could live in you and work through you. Why don't we go with that one? Or this one, we love this one. Dear God, keep us safe. Okay, wear your seatbelt, drive the speed limit, okay? (laughs) Students, this one gets prayed a lot. Dear God, please help me on my tests. Look, atheists do good on their tests, okay? Study, amen. And then the one I love the most, which really means I hate it. Dear God, thank you for this food. That's good. Thank you for this food. And please let this food nourish our body. Well, what else is it going to do? That's just what food does. Whether you ask it to or not, whether you pray to God or not, I've never met the person going, I don't know what's happening. I just eat and eat and eat and there's no nourishment going on. That's just what food does. Right? Now, maybe at a drive-thru sometime, you should go, now, God, let this food nourish my body. That's like praying, dear God, let my hair be hairier and the water be wet. I mean, it's just, they're not even real prayers. Now, again, it's it's about a relationship, so you can pray about whatever you want to pray about. If it's important to you, it's important to God. But, but I really believe if that's the totality of your prayer life, it says a lot about your relationship or lack of with God. If your prayer life at some point is not intimidating to you, I believe it's insulting to God. I think God's going, is that all you got? All right, I got it. Gratitude for the day. The beanie weenies are going to work again. Good luck on your test. Is that really it? Is that all you're ever going to bring me? Because you know what? God says, bring me the impossible Bring me the impossible. That's the kind of prayers that I've been praying for this last year. I, I taught on this passage back in, back in February, so I went back to check it out. And it was actually, it was when we launched the Upon This Rock campaign. Remember all that? And, and quite honestly, the first week, it didn't go so well. We needed over 600 people to give uh, over $6 million. And thank you, and God bless you, and you did, amen. But the week one, we weren't, we weren't even close. We had 200 people. And you know what? All these people kept coming to me going, well, maybe God's trying to tell you something. God's trying to tell me we got some selfish people, and I just got to share God's vision with them. That's what God's trying to tell me. And every church expert I went to and said, okay, here's the plan. Um, I've never led a church ever, and we're going to take a non-denominational church and launch it out of a denominational church, and we're going to lease a Walmart and turn it into a church. And I had I had experts in church world go, that's impossible. And I went, I know, I know, I know. So it's got God's name written all over it. So that's the kind of prayers that we're going to pray. 
Because I don't want to pray normal prayers because I don't want to be a normal believer. Normal in this world is broke, depressed, and lonely. That's normal. I don't want to be any of that. All right? I want to be, I want God to do something in me that is exponentially greater than I could ever do. And I want him to do the same thing in you. I want God to do the impossible. Guys, um, God, God loves, loves, loves answering the impossible prayer. You know how I know? It's the cross. The cross. You know what was impossible? Your righteousness before God. Impossible. And yet when you pray, dear God, save me. By the blood of Jesus on the cross, he saved you and redeemed you. To the eight students that surrendered your life to Jesus over this weekend, nothing is impossible for God. And in addition to those eight, to the 139 people who have surrendered their life to Christ since we opened the doors on the Walmart, that was impossible. And God says, bring it on. I love the impossible. It's like a hanging curveball that he just likes to knock out of the park and said, you see that? Not to your name, but to his name be the glory. That's the kind of prayers, church, that we got to start praying. Big Bold, audacious prayers because we believe in an almighty God. Now, is that how you've been praying? Think about your prayers last week. I mean, just think about your prayers last week. What if God would have answered every prayer we all prayed last week? How would the world be any different? Your food would have nourished you. Some of you'd have a date. The Jags wouldn't be one and eight. But how would this world be any different? I mean, would we have the same amount of orphans? Would we have the same amount of people um, trapped in human trafficking? Would we have, would the churches still be empty all over our country? Would there still be people um, locked up in addiction? Probably because the way we pray is so me-centered, so self-centered. It's so wimpy. So what if God said yes to all of your prayers? You see, um... I want to lead the kind of church that prays big, bold, audacious prayers. This table is, or what's on this table is, is so important to me. This is every prayer card that was ever filled out from the time we started four years ago as a service at 1122 and as we became the church of 1122. Every one of these I've held in my hand and I've prayed over. And, and our entire staff at the church of 1122, every time you fill out a prayer request and drop it in a box or hand it to somebody, we all schedule at least an hour a week in our schedules to pray over every single one of these. And, 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 and again, we pray over all of them. And some of them are goofy, all right? And, it, and it's, some of them are even kind of funny, like this one. It says, pray for the Florida Gators. And then in parentheses, it says, remember, Joby, you said you take each prayer request very seriously. So that's funny. So I prayed for the Florida Gators this week. I'm not going to tell you what I prayed. Or actually, I will. I prayed for an immeasurable amount of humility. That that group would be humbled over and over and over again. All right? <clears throat> yeah. Amen. All the Auburn people said amen. All right. So, <clears throat> but the majority of these prayer requests are um, they're pretty heavy. Uh, here's one. Here's one. There's a guy, and he's saying, I've done all that I can do. I work full time. My wife's in school full time. But I can't find anywhere to work that pays the bills. He said, we need a miracle. And then here, here's another one that's praying for, uh, oh, this one gets me. They're praying for uh, their, their child who has an inoperable brain tumor. 
and that God would be glorified somehow. And that they're just praying for a miracle. And this one, this one's a good friend of mine. I know this guy really well. And he's praying for the salvation of his parents. And that, that his family members that don't know Jesus would surrender to Jesus. And his mom and dad are Buddhists. And I've gotten about a hundred of these from this friend of mine. And here's one that's praying for the comfort of the Holy Spirit and the loss of their grandfather. But ultimately what the prayer is, is that my brother would be led to a relationship with Jesus because of the death of my grandfather. Here's another one that's praying for um, a friend of theirs who got married on October 6th. And 10 days later, she found out that her husband had a brain tumor. They're praying for a miracle. Well, listen, when our staff prays, we don't pray, God, thanks for this day and be with those people. We pray big, bold, audacious prayers because we believe in an almighty God. And we pray, we pray, Lord, we know you can do it, and we believe you will. And even if it doesn't work out the way we're asking God, to your name be the glory. And some of you need to pray those kind of prayers. Some of you got some junk in your life, and you need to pray. That's how we're going to end our service. And I know what some of you do. Some of you are like, well, preacher, you don't know the situation I'm in. You don't, you don't know what I've been through. You're a preacher. You don't go through anything. I understand that. You know what my prayer request this week is? See, if you open your notes, see, there's, you see scripture and then you see prayer requests. That's how seriously we take this. You know what I'm filling out this week? I got a cousin named Randy. He's 12 years older than me. <clears throat> when I was growing up, Randy was my hero, one of them. He was so cool and athletic. Just everything he did worked. Um, he used to take me riding around on his motorcycle when I was growing up. I just, he was just awesome. He was so good to me. And then uh, a week ago Friday, Randy put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger. And it didn't kill him. And 10 years ago, Randy was on top of the world. And Randy was like the golden child in our family, man. Everything he did was awesome. 10 years ago, Randy had a job making a quarter of a million dollars a year. Randy was very, very active in his church. He had a beautiful wife, got beautiful kids, this nice house in Atlanta. Everything was looked like on the up and up. And then somehow over the last 10 years or so, Randy's been on this slide. And... Uh, he got addicted to pain medication and uh, got divorced and lost his kids and lost his house and lost his job. Slept in a tent for a while. Somehow and all that, he broke his back. Went to the doctor a week ago Friday. The doctor said, you'll never work again. And he said to my aunt, not only, not only am I now worthless, but I'm useless. And that night, put a 38 under his chin and pulled the trigger multiple times. And right now, he's in the hospital in Florence, South Carolina, hanging on for dear life. He is on life support. And my family's been praying like crazy. And this weekend, he had facial reconstruction surgery. And he's going to lose an eye, but he's still alive. And so I'm praying big, bold, audacious prayers that God would save him, not just physically. I'm praying that he would live and that he would stand up and walk again. And I'm going to head up there. And not only am I praying that, but I'm also praying that God might be glorified in it. That somehow God would use this tragedy, this self-inflicted tragedy, because it has rocked my family. But that God might use it for his glory. That God might use that to, to, to bridge the gap that I've had between me and some of the people in my family that don't know Jesus yet. And I'm begging God that the people that I've begged him to save before, maybe God would use this tragedy to open a door that I could share the gospel with some of my family. I don't care if it's me. That somehow they would come to a saving 
knowledge of Jesus Christ and be drawn unto him. That's what I'm praying. And I'm praying in faith, not because of my faithfulness, but because of God's faithfulness. Big, bold, audacious prayers because I know he can and I believe he will. And even if he doesn't, God be the glory. So what about you? What do you need prayer for this week? Because I know, I know there's some of you and you were dealing with it. You're in the middle of it. And in just a little while, um, we're going to pray. We're going to leave the front altars open so you can, you can fill out your prayer request and you can come lay it on the altar and you pray big, bold, audacious kind of prayers. And we're also going to have our staff and our elders up here because in James chapter 5, the Bible says this, is any one of you in trouble? And some of you are in trouble. I mean, you're in trouble. You're in, your marriage is in trouble. Your finances are in trouble. Your health's in trouble. Is any one of you in trouble? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Look, for some of you, things are going great, and you need to come down and just pray bold praise kind of prayers to God. Then let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? Some of you are sick. Some of you are physically sick. Some of you are emotionally and spiritually and relationally sick. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. Look, I'm an elder of this church. And I'll be down here to pray. We've asked all of our elders to be here to pray. And we don't have enough elders to pray for everybody. So all of our staff's going to be here to pray for you. And the Bible says, anoint him with oil. Look, I was ordained Southern Baptist. We don't anoint anything. But the Bible says to anoint with oil. So I've got oil. And if you want me to anoint you with oil, I'll be right here to pray big, bold prayers over you. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up if he has sinned. He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. We are going to pray for healing. We are not promising cures, but we are praying for healing in the name of Jesus. And so I don't know where you are. Maybe it's your marriage that needs to be shaken. Maybe it's your finances that need to be shaken. Maybe it's your soul that needs to be shaken. And you've never prayed the boldest prayer of all, God save me. And you've never surrendered your life to Christ. Whatever it is. I'm going to pray for boldness, that some of you would be bold enough for the very first time. You can't even believe you're at church, and you can't believe you're about to do this, that you would step out and walk down here, and that you would be prayed for. Whatever it is, we're going to pray it in Jesus' name, not to us, but to His name and His glory alone. And so you fill out those cards. We take them very, very seriously. And in just a little while, when I say amen, then you come on down. You better be first. If you've ever had a suicidal thought, you better be the first one down here saying, God, save me. God, heal me. God, help me to see this world the way you see this world. And that he would take those, cap- those thoughts captive and away from you, whatever it is. Some of you need, need to break your addictions. Well, you can't do it, but he can. Some of you have been car- carrying this guilt around forever because you aborted your child. And this day, God wants to set you free of whatever it is. Some of you, your marriages, again, they're on the rocks, and you need to come down here. If you're here by yourself or here with your spouse, you need to come down here and be honest and confess and watch the Lord heal you. We're going to stand, and we're going to pray together the prayer that the apostles prayed, and then I'm going to pray, and then you're going to come down here, and we're going to keep praying. Would you please stand, and would you read this prayer with me, but you better read it like you mean it. Sovereign Lord, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Sovereign Lord, we stand before you in faith. God, I lift up to you right now. 
God, the seeker and the skeptic and the sold out and everybody that's in this place, God. God, we look to you and you alone for the answers. God, I pray for the woman in this place who has not been able to have a kid yet, God, I pray. God, I pray that you would put life inside that body. God, I pray for families that would be called to adopt orphans. God, we pray right now for a core refuge and and the orphans there and the girls in the McKenzie house. God, we pray for those kids right now, Holy Spirit, that you would wrap your arms around them. And God, that they might even feel your love tangibly in this moment. God, we pray that today would be the day that releases people from addictions. God, pornography addiction and drug addiction and alcohol addiction, God, that they would be released. God, we pray for for reconciliation between family members. God, we pray for marriages that would be that would be unified in Jesus' name. God, we pray for prodigal children that may have even been raised in church, but right now they are running from you, God. May they return to you, God. And we pray this. We pray this in Jesus' name that you and you alone may be glorified, God. You are our healer, and nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you'll come now for prayer. You come my rainy sea.